0: Hello and welcome to The Thing About Golf, the podcast series from Golf Australia magazine that explores the many and varied reasons people get hooked on this ridiculous game. My name's Rod Murray, good to have your company as we continue our quest, special welcome if you're a first time listener and a big welcome back if you've been with us before. Now, as regular listeners know, we've had our fair share of professionals on the podcast over the last year and a bit, from Cary Webb, Peter Lonard, Peter Fowler, Scott Henn, Greg Chalmers, and many more. We all think of golf as a singular pursuit, but the truth about the game at the top level is that it's actually a weird hybrid of both solo performance and team play. I speak, of course, of the caddy, perhaps the most unique character in all of sport. To some, Caddies are just carriers of the equipment, and while it's true that the caddy never actually hits a shot, to suggest that their input is no more than as physical assistant is both a narrow view and one that is demonstrably wrong. After all, if caddies didn't do much, why would the top pros pay them so well? On this episode, we're going to meet a man who has seen some of the very best golf played by some of the game's very best players. Dean Hurden is an Australian and a former professional who now lives in South Korea. His caddying resume includes 51 victories, two of them at the US Women's Open. As you'll hear, though, Dean is much, much more than just a bag carrier. He's thoughtful about the game and has a genuine passion for promoting it in all its forms. And just a heads up, he also reveals the secret to the success of Korea's women golfers. I hope you enjoy my chat with Dean Hurden, and as we do, we open the conversation by saying thank you, Dean Hurden. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thing about golf is quite the commitment, so it's been very good of you to say yes, mate. Looking forward to our catch up today.
1: Thanks, Rod. I've been I listened to the show quite often, so uh, I, I was absolutely honoured when you um, invited me to come on and. Uh, Oh, uh, ecstatic!
0: Yeah, that tells us two things, Dean. One, you must be a somebody in golf, and two, you've got too much time on your hands, so you need to do something about that, my friend, because they think, uh, they do go for I think a while now, Obviously, you're not I think a household name, everybody everybody so yeah. Well, at the moment, everybody does do. We'll come to that in a minute. And I'll, I'll get you to update us on what the go is in Korea. but I like to get into the sort of topic of the show early if we can. So, the jumping off point for the show, as you know, is the thing about golf, and so I like to pose the question this way: I'd like you to finish this sentence for me. The thing about golf is?
1: Everything. Um, The thing about golf is uh, it's the closest relationship to life, I feel, and um, it's just a hell of a sport to play. Mm -hmm.
0: Those who don't play golf wouldn't understand that at all, and I suspect that most listening to this podcast will understand that in some way. Why do you reckon some people get golf and get hooked on the game the way we have, and why do you think some don't?
1: mental side of it, I think um, anybody who's in in the high level of sports knows that, uh, you know, 70% of it is mental and um, golf seems to go to another level in the mental side of it I feel. Um, Peter Thompson made the famous comment that it's 70% mental, you know, 30% physical, but when your brain's operating the physical side of it, I guess it's 100% but uh, golf goes deep golf goes deeper than other sports, I feel Um, I find that uh, anybody that's it teaches you patience, I think, are the other thing too. Um, even looking at a player that swings at a golf club, you can tell, you know, okay, basically when they're first starting, they haven't got the ability, but, you know, as they progress, they're picking up things all the time and they're learning things all the time. But I think uh, a player who really just tries to smash the ball as hard as they can and um, and not really think about what the, you know, the placement of the ball down the fairway and you know, getting the ball on the green and less amount of shots as possible. Um, you know that, you know they're not, they don't, they, they don't end up grasping the sport. Mm-hmm. They just keep they keep they just keep teeing it up and, <laughs> it and, and not really thinking and, and uh, probably doing it for social reasons too. You know, but uh, the, the the people who get into the mental side of it, I think, and you know realize that you know the decisions they made uh, by being aggressive at a flag and not being aggressive, uh, um, being smart. You know, dick, you know. Uh, getting the ball around the golf course, basically the lowest score possible. You know, and uh, that's I find they're, they're they're the smart ones who really get hooked onto the sport quickly. Yeah, and uh, they see they see they see the little particles that that, uh, um, that, that, that formulate the game.
0: So, some people hit the ball around the place. Some people play golf, and they are two different things, yeah. aren't they? One is, uh, it's very much a game of strategy and placement and whatnot. Nobody says Dean when they're asked at a, at the age of five or ten or fifteen. Uh, what do you want to do with your life? I want to be a caddy. That doesn't happen. You come to golf first, that's the path, and then you find your way to caddying. What was your path to being a caddy? You've caddied for some of the very best players that we've seen in the last 20 years, particularly in the women's game. How did you end up there? Where did it start for you? What was your introduction to golf?
1: Uh, Dad, um, first of all, I grew up in a small country town, a place called Beckham, uh, which is, uh, for people who are familiar, it's probably about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Canberra. It's between Sydney and Melbourne, uh, here in Australia, and uh, it's a small country town, very, very small, only about 200 people population. Dad had the pub there, but we had a big big farming community um, anyway, so I grew up with sports, cricket, you know, cricket was a big game for me. So at 12 years of age, Dad dad invited me down to the local chicken run, uh, which was on a Tuesday evening afternoon where you know people got together and just had a quick nine-hole uh, competition and you know the first prize was winning a chicken you know (laughs) so um he invited me along and uh, i thought this is a nice game you know the relationship between cricket and golf i think is quite close uh, Mm -hmm. when you're you're batting in cricket um so i had a bit of hand-eye coordination there and um, i really enjoyed the game i got hooked on it straight away um the first round i think it was 55 or something i shot and um you know i just thought oh okay i hit you know probably two or three good shots and i thought oh that felt so good and then after that i just kept playing and playing and playing and um and uh basically uh i got my handicap down uh, quite quickly I joined the club and uh, at, a, at a golf club called Ardlethan, Ardlethan golf club which is a sand nine hole sand green course and um and for those people who aren't familiar with sand green courses you, you're basically uh it's a volunteer golf course all the members are in there doing working bees and um, volunteering their time to cut the fairways and and the sand greens are just a, a, a probably a, a green that's probably 15 meters wide, circular, obviously, and um, just just um, you put oil on the sand to, to make it smooth, and, and uh, it uh, it's an interesting game. It's a game along the ground, not so much in the air. You've got to allow for the bounce and the run. So you don't anyway, get anyway. You don't uh, see a
0: lot of lob wedges once you get sort of an hour and a half, two hours outside the metropolitan area, do you? <laughs> they don't no, sell very well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Scotland's got the link style golf, and uh, Australia's got that uh, rough country yeah. uh, style golf, and which is quite similar sometimes because you see the ball running all the time. But yeah. uh, getting back on track, uh, but the um, where I started was in, Ron Luxton uh, was a P, uh, still is a, an Australian PGA professional and a wonderful teacher. He used to come out to drive his station wagon out from Sydney uh, to all the country golf courses that didn't have a club pro. So um, and he was able to kind of watch young players coming through and um, you know basically sell a bit of equipment while he was there and you know just made it accessible for us to as golfers uh, to you know get a lesson and and, and be able to buy a couple you know set of clubs here and there off him but Ron was a a, you know wonderful teacher and he picked up on on what I had I guess and um, he said you should you should really go to Sydney and join one of the golf courses there to to play pennants and uh, representative stuff and Anyway, so I, I decided. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give it some thought. And then six months later, um, I was playing a pro am at Griffith, and uh, got to play with two professionals in our group. And one was uh, Ross Herbert, and the other one was Gary Tozer. And uh, Ross, as we all know, uh, was a, a head coach of the um, of the AOS for I many understand. many years. And God bless him, he's passed away now. But mm-hmm. um, Gary. Uh, both Ross and Gary mentioned to me, you know, you should, you should go to Sydney. You've got something there. So um, Gary was able to introduce me to uh, Ride Parramatta Golf Club in Sydney. And um, then I decided uh, at the age of 17, I'll jump in my car and go to Sydney. I'll get stuck into this. And then um, basically from 17 to 19, I had the privilege of meeting a gentleman called Frank Phillips, and two-time Australian Urban champion, and uh, Frank was the head pro at Ride Parramatta. Which which was a luxury for me because you've got now you've got a, a great former tour pro who's the head professional, and so as I was uh, practicing and playing and around Royal Parietta, and that, uh, Frank was always there to to watch me and mentor me. And uh, but uh, there was a bit of a glitch because Frank had to leave, um, and then I decided to leave. I, I I switched across to Concord Golf Club, and so uh, I got to play a lot of golf at Concord, and um, I d- I decided. That I needed an income, but I also wanted to stay in golf. I wanted to practice hard. I wanted to be a tour pro. I had this hunger to be a tour pro, and Greg Norman was doing what he was, and and, and he inspired so many of us. And um, was, he was just so wonderful to watch Norman the way he played back in the eighties, and he inspired a lot of players. And so therefore, I was on that. I was on that trip, you know, watching Norman doing what he does. And he, um, I didn't decide Bruce, uh, to do the uh, traineeship. I wanted to become a golf professional and to do the traineeship and, um, and to go through that system. You've got two choices in Australia: you come directly if you win, if you're a top amateur player, then you you uh, you can you can turn professional straight away. But but uh, back in those days, uh, you had two choices: you could do the traineeship or or straight in. But I, I wasn't a good enough amateur player. I was still only off about a three, two or three handicap back then, and I thought I'll give it a shot because I thought. The harder you work, the better you get. And um, I'm a hard worker, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And uh, I, I joined up with the PGA and uh, went through the whole system for three or four years. And um, in, I think in 86, I, uh, I decided to go out on tour. That's basically it. I, I became a, a tour professional for three or four years, but you know, not, not successful at all. Won a few pro ams. Um, that's about it.
0: It's hard, isn't it? It's it's harder than people realise. People don't realise how good you've got to be to play in the leagues with blokes you've never heard of, how good you... you go to some of those mini tours in the States and some of those places around the UK, you'll find guys who play unbelievable golf. You can't believe how good they are, and yet they're struggling to get to the big show because it's just you've got to be that good.
1: It's such a financial grind, Rod. It's... uh A lot of people wouldn't realize it's uh, now. Now I'm guessing probably about four grand a week to be on tour, four or five. You know, Uh, back then it was three, two, three to play the four rounders to play the big tournaments. You know, -hmm. hotel expenses, caddy, air ticket. You know, and you haven't eaten yet.
0: And you can't really skimp, can you, Dean? Because you do yourself a disservice if you sleep in your car for the week. You save, let's say, six hundred bucks, but you do your body not great, <laughs> it's not great for your no. body and how you're going to be able to swing the club properly if you do that. So everything's got to be weighed up, doesn't it? It really is. A, it's a relentless pressure had, if you want to play.
1: I had a wonderful conversation with Jack Newton one time. Jack would probably would remember this, but it was, you know, it, it, I was in about nineteen eighty mid-80s or something. But Jack taught a lot of us young, inspiring professionals in Sydney at the time that, you know, you, you eat hamburgers, you play like a hamburger. <laughs> that was his famous famous comment, and uh, Jack uh, installed in this that you know look you know look after yourself when you're on tour. Um, you know eat well, no need to go over the top, but just you know don't you know make sure you get a good night's sleep in a hotel, a decent hotel, and, and uh, you, as, as I said, you have got to look after the body.
0: Did anybody see the irony yeah. of that coming from Jack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, perhaps yeah. do do Even as good. I say, not as I do. Perhaps some in some cases there with Jack what a player yeah. he was what a golden era of professional golf here in Australia Dean that you were a part of in some ways oh. maybe not a surprise that you didn't make it that might have been one of Australia's hottest periods of the play we watch some of those fantastic videos that Rob Williamson puts up on on Twitter of tournaments from the 80s and 90s it is just a it's a parade of fantastic golfers that we had here wasn't it
1: all inspired by the shark, I'd say, yep. um, You know, the, the shark was wonderful. I, I, I constantly get asked this question. You know, you know, you know, the, the Norman. You know, this, 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 and that, and and, and I said, yeah, but Greg, Greg was absolutely wonderful to Australian golf because he made the trip four or five times a year to come to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, to, sorry, to play four or five tournaments a season, and that, that's what inspired us. There's no doubt about it in my mind. I mean, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people used to say, "Oh, yeah, but he lives in America," blah, blah, blah. But the guy made the effort of coming out to play four or five events, and it was absolutely fantastic for us. You know, it was, it was it was all inspiring.
0: You couldn't live here and be a professional golfer. There wasn't enough golf to play to make a living doing just that. And, you know, it, if you want to be the best, you've got to go and play where the best are. So uh, those criticisms always just seemed a bit silly. To, to Almost to a person, I, I had a chat with Brad Hughes the other day. We we're going to have him on the show mm-hmm. in the not-too-distant future. Same thing for him. Greg Norman changed his life just by being Greg Norman, and swinging that golf club and hitting that ball, Brad Hughes's, the trajectory of his life changed because of Greg Norman. Yeah. And there's plenty, there's plenty of other Australians who, can, who, golfers, who will tell you the same thing, both professional and not professional. People who came to the yeah. game because of, of what Norman did. And that, you can disagree with him personally about all sorts of stuff and you can wonder what he's up to these days, posting pictures of himself on Instagram and whatnot. You can't deny the contribution that he made to the game in this country and globally.
1: Absolutely, wonderful. Uh, the, the players you talk about in the 80s, Rod. Right, uh, you know, and we, we, I got to, the luxury I got was to, to tra- travel with these guys. And um, actually, you mentioned Brad Hughes a minute ago. To Hugo, I played my first four round tournament with, and down to the Tassie Open. And oh, um, I, I looked at Brad Hughes, and I'm going, well, <laughs> this is a reminder I may not make it to this game. Uh, Brad was an absolute ball striker too. Yeah, so, special well, talent. Uh, really. But the crop coming, th- the crop coming through. Um, and you know, you Craig Parry's, Peter O'Malley's. Um, Craig article. Warren was a great, great, yep. great young player too. You know, and, and um, there was uh, the Stephen Leaney's, um we, we, had a, we had a really good crop of players, and they were all hungry. I mean, they all we've got to go to. We're heading off to the European tour first, and then we're going to go across to the US and yep. and uh, you know, take on the world because, of course, of one guy, the Shark. Yeah, he, he he did it for us. Yeah,
0: you know? very much so. Very much so. And Dean, what was it? What was it actually like, though? At, at what point, And it must be one of life's most difficult decisions if you're a golfer at what point did you realize or did it did it make itself known to you that you weren't going to make it playing for a living was it sudden or did I, it take some time no
1: that? I I was a big worker I mean I, I, I practiced a lot on it I was a driving range nut you know and um uh, often too often you know it was it was you know I'd miss a cut by five or six shots or something and then uh, Saturday morning I'd be out there at 7 a.m. whacking balls on the on the driving range and you know, trying to work out something or constantly you know um, it, it, the game got to me at the end you know it really did and um it got to the point where um you know you, you, you start to get so negative on yourself negative on yourself you know and you st- you're so hard on yourself you know you're mentally bashing yourself up, up all the time and
0: uh,
1: it, it uh, i guess it gets to you after a while and um i started you know getting irate with myself on the golf course because Things weren't working out, and uh, the feedback wasn't coming back to me. And I just, I, what I needed was a break away from it, you know, which I didn't take. And it, your answer is it came to me gradually, but I think the where it hit me between the eyes. I played. I got invited to a little small tournament up in uh, up in Japan, Hokkaido, and it was just a you know a small um, small event, uh, but you know decent prize money. And wow, you know was, I was already in Korea doing the Asian tour at the time, and I flew across and played in it. I finished second in the event, but I wasn't happy. I mean, I walked off the golf course and I'm still miserable, you know, and I thought to myself, oh, mate, I, you know, I, now that I think back on it, I just thought well, the game obviously got to me at the end, you know.
0: <laughs> well, what am I doing? So, I madness. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, so, um, and I decided I'm, I'm going to have a break away from this, and, and I decided to stop. Um, I was due to play the New South Wales Open down at uh, – I think it was played in Bathurst at the time, it, 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 um, at one time, I think um, – Kenny Trimble might have won it, I'm not sure, but it New South Wales, happened there once. So I'm, anyway, so I decided that it wasn't working out. It was just, it was just uh, I'm, I'm not going to play on it, you know. And uh, I looked at the bank balance, and I swear to God, <laughs> I, mean, I, got, I don't know, I didn't have enough money to get down there in the first place. But uh, I, I just realised uh, I need to break away from this. This is driving me nuts. The bank balance was minus. Um, you know, I just, it's, the pressure was immense, you know, and it was more yeah financial pressure now i'm 26 i was 26 years of age at the time now and uh i realized it's financially this is this is going nowhere for me Mm -hmm. and um and then i just decided to step away from it got into other areas of the game i decided to i wanted to try
0: it's a cruel game isn't it dean it really doesn't play favorites and it is it's a very very hard taskmaster i mean golf can really beat you down and just not give you a break um
1: Again, and I think this is the part where uh, you know, your mental strength is what's needed in the game. Either either be really stupid or be really smart and <laughs> mentally strong. Um, I, you, as you look at it; uh, it's. Um, I just find that um, you, constant positiveness all the time is the way to go. And um, um, I think Roger Davis was a, a, one of Australia's you know, famous old players back in the back in the seventies and eighties. Uh, Roger Davis, very Roger was. You know, he was so funny like, to, to, to walk around or, you know, later on I got the caddy a few times and I was in the same group as him and, and it was quite quite funny that, you know, you, you know, there was an instance there where uh, I watched him hit a shot and it was just a, a, a horrendous shot. You know, he kind of, you know, the, the iron got stuck behind the ball and, you know, it only went, only went you know, uh, 80% of the distance it's supposed to go. And uh, anyway, he kind of looks across to the caddy and goes, you know, you sure that was the right club? You know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but this Roger had this way of keeping himself positive And okay, yeah, he missed hit the shot, but he, you know, it wasn't no, his fault. No, It wasn't a miss hit. It was no. Obviously, the wrong club. That's right. You know? one.
0: one of the great you tricks know? of the but, game, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you, you got to stay. You got to stay. Mm. And it's so positive out there. You can't, can't be. You can't be bashing your head. You know, going, oh, why did I do this? Why did I do that? I must be doing something wrong. Uh, but you, if you keep constantly telling yourself, no, I'm fine. It's just you know. just stay super positive.
0: Yeah, I think Ian Baker Finch said it best. I heard him say it one day. He said, don't beat yourself up on the golf course. That's everybody else's job. Be kind to yourself because others won't be. And I think that's probably very true, particularly for the top players. You know, you look at somebody like Rory or Tiger or Norman in his day, they shoot seventy three, it might not be horrendous. They get roasted in the press the next day. <laughs> we oh, all give it to them, and it's uh, you know, which is just, I mean, it's, it comes with the gig. They also get the big bucks, so that's how it works, and they all understand that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, be kind to yourself because because uh, nobody else will. How does that then go for a lot of people in that position, Dean? Golf just simply stops being a part of their life. It's burnt them so badly, hurt them so much, they walk away and they never engage with the game again. You didn't do that. Why not?
1: Um, uh, passion, loved it, you know, I knew there was... Even uh,
0: still, after everything it had done yeah, to
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, back then I decided, there was a, back in the day, uh, Rod, there was IMG and Advantage, there were two management companies and, um, a lot of the players, you know, were kind of, uh, if you're a very, very good player, uh, IMG signed you up or a Vandy signed you up there were only two management companies going at the time so I thought oh, a bit of an idea I've got some connections in Japan um, you know thanks thanks to actually one of the members at the uh, Concord Golf Club Rick Newnham um, he started ESP a uh, sports promotion company and in in, which I was a part of at one stage and then um, anyway uh, I've, I've managed to gather up a, quite a few um, uh, Japanese contacts and, and when I've made a few, few trips to Japan and um, I thought I'll, I'll try and start a management company just to get some young Aussies. Uh, this connection between Australia and Japan going to get some young Aussies. And Japan was a closed tour back in, uh, right up until 1990, and it opened its gates in 91. I think it was 91 or 92. And um, I thought, well, it probably is a nice opportunity for Aussies to come in and um, and start playing that tour instead of going straight to Europe, or you know, as the, the normal the norm was to go to Europe and then. If you were any good, you went on to to the PGA Tour. But anyway, I thought that I'd start this avenue up. And uh, I had some success with three or four players, Craig Warren, Anthony Gilligan, Shane Robinson, and uh, Richard Backwell. And so um, I'd had some good success, three of them, three out of the four. And and, uh, Craig actually went on to win an event. But uh, sadly enough, the expenses in Japan were way too much for me. Uh, Having an office in Tokyo, which I had to have, uh, the JPGA uh, insisted that I, I had an office, so um, it was really hard. So I decided, to, um, again, my bank balance was dwindling, and um, after four years, I gave it. I gave that away um, and decided then to um, look at caddying. I was doing a little bit of caddying for Craig Warren, and Craig said to me, you know, you're, you're really good as a caddy, So and I thought, oh, great. So when I stopped the business, you know, basically uh, um, I got stuck into caddying, uh, and I, I I worked I worked for Craig uh for one year. Um and he was a big help to me because financially now I got ahead and um he had a decent season and um one thing led to another and um and I was very very close friends with Craig and still am. Uh but it, we were, we played the tour together. So but after a season it's hard it's always hard to caddy for your friend. Yeah, I would think. Um yeah. It, it's very hard to express fully uh, because you, you see another side of your friend on the golf course too because they you know they're in the uh, the work mode you know and uh, so it's not it's not fun and games and having a, having a few drinks or going out to a restaurant really it's it's, it's business out there so. And things could get heated. And so, um, but with Craig's case, he never was. He never, you know, he was never like that on the golf course. Did you enjoy it um,
0: straight away? Did you enjoy that role? Because it's a, for some people, they would think of that as a come down. You've been a player, now you're a caddy. In some people's minds, you'd be moving down the pecking order. Did you ever feel that?
1: I did. Yeah, I did. And I thought, no, but again, it's just uh, this passion I had for the game. I, I wanted to be a part of it. And, um, The big thing, Rod, was I still had a lot of competition myself. You know, like I mean, I walked away from the game at 26, and I still had this bit of fire in my stomach. You know, I love the competition. It's so nice out here. You know, and and (laughs) I love being on a golf course, walking around on the grass. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's a simple thing in life, but uh, often uh, overlooked. I think uh, being able to just walk out, walk around on grass, and such a beautiful view every day.
0: It's not a bad office, is it? (laughs) So,
1: no, it's not a bad office at all. But the thing was that uh, yeah, Craig and I finished. We, we split at the end of the year. We decided. I think it was partly uh, he, he just said, "Look, i I'm sick of you." <laughs> but, uh, so and I, I didn't want the friendship to break up, and uh, so we both agreed. And uh, my biggest turnaround then was to get involved with the uh, the Japanese players in Japan, and that was the big. That was the. Re- that's when I realised. Okay, I can really uh, excel at this, and. Um, I had a lot of success with a young Japanese player called Toru Suzuki and um, uh, he won his first tournament um, and, you know, he he put a lot of it down to uh, me helping him a lot. So that was a big confidence boost for me. Um, And then I I just got to work closely and and, uh, a lot more along with the Japanese players. And it was the Japanese players who invited me then. uh, Now we're talking mid-90s. to go caddy for them in the US Open, the US PGA Championships. Even guys I'd never caddy for before, they'd come walking up to me and say, you know, there's no Japan event. Would you come across and caddy for me at the British Open? And um, I said, yeah, great. <laughs> St Andrews, why not? <laughs>
0: <I've> never, <laughs> if you're asking, yeah. Be... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pay for the ticket, uh, yeah. I, I guess I can, yeah. I can find the time.
1: And then, and then they politely look at you and they say, oh, by the way, I've been invited to play the Scottish Open the week before at Carnoustie. Um, could you do that week too? And then, so it was really funny. I'm like, uh, I don't really have to think about this. Uh, sure.
0: <laughs> in a lot of ways, so, uh, Dean, it's a bit like being a player, isn't it? You are your own business and your own brand. And so mm-hmm. word of mouth is your stock in trade. One player needs to say to another player, Dean's a good caddy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. very quickly, you run out of business opportunities, don't you?
1: Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do do. It's and you know, I think it's a five year apprenticeship, like most things. And uh, you give yourself a five year run. And it was after, I guess, after five years that um, you know I started to have a good reputation with myself. And um, I did, the the rep I had, I suppose, was uh, players that never won before. You know, they, I seemed to have managed to get them across the line somehow. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's probably the, where the the mental side of it of being a touring pro before my helping it kicks in a little bit. Um, Sometimes uh, when things are going on out in the golf course, I, I have a tendency to go to sleep because there's no competition there. You know, <laughs> we're walking, ar- walking around and I'm kind of going brain dead. But when the uh, on Sunday afternoon, and on Sunday afternoon when you have got a chance to win, I mean, it's all all systems ago. go. You know, I mean, you're, you're fired up. You know, you. Um, and, and that's where I come alive, I guess.
0: Yeah. It takes me a while. <laughs> Lots of, well, you, you've got to have something to play for, don't you, I suppose? If co- if competition's your drug, then there's got to be some competition yeah. uh, and something yeah, to beat. A so. lot of golfers probably don't understand, recreational golfers, and I'd probably put myself in the mm-hmm. category too, probably don't really understand what does make a good caddy. Why does Tiger Woods pay Joe LaCarva so much money? Surely anybody can pick up and carry the bag. We innately know that that's not 100% true, but you can't help but wonder, can there be that much difference between caddies? What is it, Dean, and were you naturally good to start? I'm going to suggest that part of it might be you, you kind of need to be a natural-born lieutenant rather than a general. You're a 2IC as a caddy, aren't you? Correct,
1: correct. Allow your player, I think one of the big keys is allow your player to do stuff and um, you know, allow the captain to, do, to uh, steer the ship and you just be there in the, in the, as a backup and make sure he's got the right information. Um, what makes a good caddy? Um, I think of a lot of aspects, and, and to be honest with you, uh, uh, the transition of being a player to a caddy was the hardest thing I've ever done too. Uh, there's a difference. And uh, uh, actually Colin Byrne, who, can, who writes for the Irish Times, Colin's a you know, fantastic caddy himself, and he's the last 20 years he's been writing for the Irish Times. He did a wonderful article. Colin on a, on a, 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 one of the European tour players made a transition of going to to as a player to a caddy and it was one of the he said it was one of the hardest things he's ever done in his life and Colin did a story on that it was amazing but it's 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 timing um, Joey and Tiger would be right now uh, they've been working together for quite a few years now so they would know each other routinely you know um, when when Tiger walks up to the ball Joe, you know, it's just the timing of giving the information to the player, you know, uh, the yardage. Um, and and the caddy knowing the golf course is a big aspect. I mean, you've got to get out there Monday, Tuesday to check the course for a start and uh, and have, have all the good information. You know, there's a downslope to this green. You don't have to pitch it. You don't have to fly the ball to the green. There's a downslope there. It'll kick on. Um, you know, so the caddy finds that out Monday, Tuesday of each event. But, um uh, a lot of the times, the uh, Tiger would be would have been employing experience uh, as he did with Steve Williams, and he'd be looking at, at you know Joe's experience with Fred Couples for many many years. Um, he would be looking at um, you know Joe's experience around every golf course on the PGA Tour and worldwide. So um, that's the thing that that's the thing Tiger's buying, and um, so Joe would have all that information. Um, good caddies I've found are guys who read the wind so well and uh, they know the wind uh, what i didn't realize when i was in japan it's probably one of the hardest winds to study because it's a mountainous country mm-hmm. a lot of the golf courses are built on mountains because of the cheap land so we're up in the hills you know caddying in this professional golf tournament and the wind swirling around it's so tricky what i didn't realize that's great apprenticeship for me there was there was a really good apprenticeship you know instead of being out on an open course that's flat course that's just the wind directions one way, one way yeah. um so um knowing the wind Um, Knowing when to knowing knowing when to talk and when to shut uh, up—that's a big key. You know, sometimes you know the players under pressure on a Sunday afternoon, wanting to win a tournament. You know, just feed them the information and and also try and keep maybe pick the right time to have a light conversation. If you see your player a little nervous on the putting green before we start, uh, before you start, you, you basically try and have a bit of a conversation. To him before you kick off and realise whether he, how nervous he is. You know, sometimes uh, some days some players are they're not as nervous as other days, and uh, um, but that's when you've got to. And then you know you can speak freely and, and or start saying some funny things to lighten up the lighten. You know, he might be a bit tense. and just start, start saying some funny things that might lighten the player up before the tee off.
0: Tiger Woods, of course, is not Fred Couples, Dean. He hits the ball differently. Mm. His natural trajectory, his natural shot shape will be different. Mm. Uh, So Joe's got to learn all of that as a caddy, and I assume that's a standard. But having been a player, I would imagine that is more difficult because you will stand over every shot as the caddy, thinking, this is what I would do. But you can't be thinking that. You've got to be thinking, what's the best choice for the player that I'm working with today, having learnt all of that by working for them? There's a lot more to it than it might appear on the surface, isn't there?
1: Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And um, a, a great caddy picks it up quickly um, within a week. Uh, I always, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, I've introduced caddies to other, other players and, um, um, you know, and I've, I've, the, the players turn around and said, oh, look, I'll give him a week and see what – no, I, I said, no, no, look, I've got to be honest with you. you. Two or three weeks, you know, is the is the number, you know. And um, if, a, if a caddy hasn't picked up on – on, on how you know the player plays um, within that period of time, um, it's it probably not going to work out. Uh, some weeks it's just a gem You know, the uh, the very first week uh, you'll turn around and maybe win with the player, but, or you know, a top five or a top ten or something, and, and you know, it, it's it's wonderful. But. Um, the good caddies really pick up a lot quickly
0: and, um, you know. Because there's an undeniable personal element as well, isn't there? A, you spend an awful lot of time together and that personal element might be be as simple as the player decides, my relationship with my caddy is very businesslike. And if that suits (coughs) the two of you, that can be fantastic. For others, it might be, well, we're going to spend a lot of time together. We need to get along and have similar views or whatever it might be. There needs to be some sort of personal chemistry, doesn't there? And I imagine that... Just because a relationship doesn't work between a player and a caddy doesn't mean you've either got a bad caddy or a bad player. It may just be bad chemistry.
1: That's so true, so true. Yeah, yeah. You're just not seeing eye to eye. Yeah. Um, that's where I've, I've always maintained to keep it business all the time. I think it's the most reliable thing instead of personal, because I think basically because of that experience I had with I, I did caddy for Peter O'Neilly, a great friend of mine, and and uh, and Craig Warren, both of them, and uh, they were they were friends, and it was hard. And I realise now. Uh, in my later years um the last 20 years or so that uh, i decided that you know that it's you know you've got to keep it just keep it business all the time very important not to spend too much time with your player it was another key i found out after years you know um don't go to too many dinners with your player or don't go to too many you know just give yourself that space of time away from the player so you can walk you know you see each other at the golf course the next day and and, and walk up and go oh, okay well how was dinner last night you know mm-hmm. now you're now you Having a conversation, you, everything's light, the player's relaxed, you know. And, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, your player's not going to get up there and go, I didn't like what you said at the dinner table <laughs> last night, blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> um, you know, whatever. You know, you didn't, you're not, you, there's that separation you have to have. Yeah. You know, it's, you can't, you can't, you know, I, uh, um, Squirrel, who used to caddy for Jeff Ogilvie, I thought this was a classic story, right? Um, I was at the Aussie Masters standing at the front of, at Huntingdale back in the day when I was there. It was when uh, the Aussie Masters was the first event, basically back on the Aussie tour in February, I think it was. Uh, Jeff was on the US tour at that time. And um, I said, hey, Squirrel, how are you? And he's, you know, Squirrel's an Englishman and, he, uh, you know, funny guy, very, very dry, very dry. And uh, I said, mate, uh, so uh, what did you get up to during Christmas? Oh, oh, I did this. Not much. Just hung with the family, blah, 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 So uh, what's, uh, yeah, hanging out, are you doing any practice with Jeff? and? He goes, no, nah, mate, no, nah, no. Nah. What's he up to? I'm oh, not sure. I don't know. Um, when was the last time you contacted him?" He says, um, Disney, back in December. He, he just told me to be at the front of the clubhouse Tuesday, 8 a.m. at Huntingdale, the Australian <laughs> Masters. And that's and I said, this is the last time you spoke to him? He said,
0: yep. Well, there you go. <laughs> I a.m. not <So>, stand up.
1: <laughs> I, I couldn't stop laughing, you know. Uh, whether it was squirrel being very very dry or uh, Jeff may be able to confirm that. Story no, sound- I thought squirrel was
0: a- the, the little I know of Jeff, that sounds like Jeff for sure. That's exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly the sort of thing that uh, that he would do. It's got to be the strangest job in the world, doesn't it, Dean? For all yeah. of those reasons, it's the strangest job by a mile, I would think.
1: It, you know, um, education wise, you know, you've got to be sharp. Yeah, sure. But we make the biggest. Oh, the funniest thing for us is meeting the people we meet. Uh, you know, the, it's it's always fascinating for people when we're, when we're talking to them and they say, oh, you know, wow, you know, uh, that, that Donald Trump, you know, he's no good, he's blah, 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 you know, whatever. Um, well, for being a professional cat, I got I got the luxury to meet Donald Trump three or four times. And, oh, really? I you know, to talk with him. And, and I thought, wow, you know, I'm not name-dropping or anything, but it was just... It was just one of those things where he came up walking out of the blue and, and uh, you know, it was two or of, two of three of the occasions was at the uh, at the Women's British Open at Turnberry. He owned the golf course, so he was there that week in uh, 2015.
0: No shortage of controversy um, about that, as you'll well remember, Dean.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, um, yeah, there was uh, – he was there a lot and he was there because he was making uh, design changes to the golf courses a lot and uh, – um, and oddly enough, and I had the luxury because he, he wanted to come up and meet NG and myself because we just won the US Open a couple of weeks before. So, and he saw it on TV. He's a big follower of women's golf. He loves it. Absolutely loves
0: it. Now you are name dropping NG, of course, you mean NG Chun. So now's probably a good time. Run us through a list of some of the players that you've caddied for. I think the your LPGA resume in particular is quite staggering when you add it up. I think it's five or six major winners you've been with when they've won majors. But, Just give us a quick thumbnail sketch of who you've caddied for over the years and we might talk about some of those players.
1: Yeah, um, male male, uh, players I did 14 years uh, and mainly, as I said, players were on the Japanese tour, uh, which was uh, fantastic. It was a great experience and um, I got to caddy for um, numerous players, Tora Suzuki, uh, Craig, as I mentioned earlier. But there was also one or two weeks I'd have have a couple of weeks off and Graham Marsh would need a caddy. Uh, for the week, and I would go and caddy for him. And, and, and uh Pete Senior, I did a, a week for Pete there one time because Carlo couldn't be there. Um, you know, and then I got to get to caddy for a lot of the better players. Brian Watts was a player on the Japanese tour that Brian got his US uh, tour card, and Brian gave me the in to go to the PGA tour. So um, Brian finished second at the British. I was going to Open say Brian, who, yeah. who was in
0: the playoff with Marco Mira, hit one of the most amazing bunker shots we've ever seen on the 18th at Birkdale if I'm not mistaken.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. A lot of things happened that week. Yeah, it was. It was uh,
0: Were you caddying from so that week?
1: I wasn't. No, I wasn't no. with Brian then. No, um, he had a, a good buddy of his Andy on the bag then. And um, so anyway, a, a horrible accident Andy had later on. Brian's obviously now got his PGA tour card from that event, and he's left Japan now. He's going to the US, and um, so um, he had Andy on the bag, and Andy had this horrible accident in uh, Reno, the Reno Open, where he Standing on the back of a cart, uh, the, the cart used to take you from one – it's quite a hilly course at Brunette. It used to take you from the green to the next tee by cart. Anyway, so one of the volunteers – one of the carts didn't have a governor on it, but this controls the speed of it. And they did a uh, – they, they turned around the uh, the cart path, and Andy was standing on the back with Brian sitting in the front. And this volunteer was just hurling around the, around the corner, and Andy couldn't hang on at the back. Mm-hmm. And he fell off the cart and, and straight into a, a – Uh, cactus and and it did a lot of rib damage and straight into it uh, it was just horrendous but um he almost lost his life and uh so anyway he was out of caddying then then lo and behold i get the phone call call up to to work for brian and um yeah so brian gave me the end of the pga tour and so for then um i got into um uh working for a couple of players in the pga tour which was great I, i stayed with brian for about six months i guess and Again, you, you just find out it's not clicking. You're missing the cuts by one and, uh, you know, you, oh, you there's just, it, it's, it's just no chemistry there, you know. And um, it, I might have been doing something wrong that, you know, I wasn't,
0: you know, we weren't on the
1: same wavelength as, with Brian. I, it just didn't work out, you know. So sometimes you've got to move on you know, because financially you're not supporting yourself on the road. And the, the players looking at you, going, "Well, you know, this is a lot of pressure." You know,
0: it almost <laughs> not, doesn't matter why it's, it's not great. working, does it? Whether it's your fault, or it, it, just, it doesn't matter why. It just has to stop. Yeah. The,
1: it does, yeah. Yeah, variety. you're better off stopping. And nine times out like of ten, being an ex tour player, I, I kind of turn around to the player, I said, "You yeah, know, you feeling comfortable or not?" You know, because I'm fine. He goes, no, no, you're all right. You know, oh, I'm just, I'm just asking you in case there's, you know, things are okay, and mm-hmm. you've just got to make sure all the time. You know, yeah. and, you know, oh, you know, and then they, all of a sudden they'll pop up and say, "Oh, look, I didn't really like you. I didn't really like what you did." on number 13 or 12 or something blah 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 oh okay all right I'll make sure that you know that fixes itself um the biggest the one thing I wanted to point out to you Rod was the biggest thing I found uh I did a season for Peter O'Malley in 2000 and it was a big turning point for myself it it was in my caddying because on the European tour it um um it really sharpened up my caddy and uh because the European Tour has got so many different golf courses. You've got soft courses. You've got firm courses. You've got, you know, the, you go to Germany where the ball doesn't, you know, it's all carry, mm-hmm. uh, the soft golf course, and then you go to Ireland the following week and it's, it's bouncing, you know, it's running out at 30 yards back to being Australian-style golf, you know. Um, but So from that I got to learn so much more about caddying and then basically from the caddies themselves too. So the caddies had a massive impact on me. It wasn't the, – the point I'm making – there is it wasn't so much the players that I was working for that I was learning off. It was actually the other caddies, which I really appreciated, Mm. you know, just listening and watching the other caddies and uh, in in big tournaments and big events. So that was a big help. So I just wanted to make that point. Um, So I'm just going along and I'm working for, uh, you know, good players. Um, Andre Stoltz out of the blue. Uh, Andre had some couple of good finishes in Australia. During, during the off season and um, he asked me to come and caddy for him in Adelaide and we had a really good result there and then and then he uh, basically asked me to come up,
0: with,
1: Andre got his card to go play the Japanese tour and then I decided uh, I, I needed some, I really love Japan, I want to get back there and uh, as it turned out Andre um, invited me up to Japan and uh, to caddy for him up there and we had a really good run. Um, I think the second tournament I ended up working for him in Japan, we won it um, and then... He was also, because of the events in Australia back then were connected with the nationwide tour, Andre was able to play uh, 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 nationwide events in the United States. So straight after he won, he turned around and said to me, he said, look, you want to come to the US and play some nationwide events? Because if I do well, I've already got good money up on the nationwide tour. Um, Then I can, you know, if I do well in the US uh, out of half a dozen events, uh, then I could probably lock my PGA Tour card up for the following year. Anyway, from that Stolte invited me back over to the US. Now I'm going, I'm going back to the US now. And um, what a player, by and Andre,
0: Andre Stoltz. To, of all the people you can tell us about, Andre, what a player! What an ability yeah. to just go low.
1: Yeah, correct, never correct. And I've see. never seen a player before, Rod, right, like Stolte, where he actually he loved his name on the on the leaderboard. Yeah. You know, he really did. Um, he was up there whenever he saw his name on the leaderboard. He wanted to keep it there. Yeah. Um, he was all the most difficult player to caddy for when, when when he would look like missing the cut on a Friday afternoon um he was I mean he was no interest yeah, you most wish players it well no he wouldn't he's just really narky and you know really on top of you kind of thing and and whereas hang on you're supposed to be like that when you're leading a tournament yeah,
0: not the other way around as well. you got it all backwards here Andre. good
1: Yeah, film. but he was yeah, a, good guy. I could tell because he was just personally driven you know he hated missing cuts he hated you know and, uh, yeah, he's quite a character, uh, and uh, it, it, it was Andre, uh, getting back to you, sorry about this, uh, drifting, drifting off a little bit, but uh, uh, Andre, and then it was around 2004, this was, and, you know, I caddied for a lot of players, and uh, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Jack Nicklaus in 98 quite a few times, I was in the same group as him at the British Open and a few other events, and, um, and anyway, um, I got to caddy for him in Australia, which was great, um, so, I mean, you, you meet some of the best, and you're watching the best players, the best caddies. You're picking up so much information. But uh, I, just, I was getting by 2004 and five. I was getting a little what how can I say, stale with the industry a bit. I was I wasn't that wasn't that
0: um, you weren't enjoying uh, it anymore. It wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't
1: enjoying fun. it so much. That travel probably because I was doing so many events each each year. I think I was kind of getting a little bit of burnout. But I kind of wasn't enjoying the men's side of it so much. I was, you know, a, a, a whole whole bunch of prize money was going on around us as a PGA Tour and all that. Um, but there was—I uh, can't put my finger on it, right but what it was. But uh, I decided I need a change, and um, I went home for about a month, and I got a phone call uh, from a management company back in Japan, and uh, they, they asked me if I'd be interested to work for a female player in Japan. I said, oh, okay, well, well gee, I've never caddied for a woman before and this is interesting. So this is 2005 and, and the, the woman's name was Yuri Fudo. I didn't know who Yuri Fudo was because I didn't really follow women's golf that much. And so, um, oh, okay. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have much access to internet and stuff. I wasn't, you know, I didn't really look her up or anything. So I said, oh, okay, well, sure, you know, I'd just love the opportunity to go back to Japan again And you know, for women's golf. Yeah, that might be interesting, you know. So I went up and I... I I didn't realize, and she was the number one player. And you know, you, of course, you want to check on these things, but the people that were telling me, "Oh, she was," yeah, she's a pretty good player, but they didn't follow women's golf at all. So, they weren't giving me really like, exact information. So I just went up. I thought I'll go up and do a couple of weeks for her and come home again. But I didn't realize she was no. I mean, this this girl could play. Oh my god,
0: fifty times a so, winner on the Japan Ladies Tour. has yeah, so got a bit of ability, yeah. most definitely. Yeah.
1: Well, the funny part is. Japan golf's funny rod because uh, some of their professional tournaments they only use house caddies. Yuri only used a house caddy she'd never caddied. she never had a foreigner on the bag what? before
0: <laughs> well, so she would turn um, up each week had, and get a different caddy
1: she'd just use a house caddy each week the house caddies were available there each week and yeah occasionally she'd have a friend on the bag or whatever wow. I guess, But but she never had anybody full-time employed Wow and I was the first person that she employed first. Full time, and why? She Do you
0: had, know why and how they came to yeah. you.
1: Yeah, I found out. I found out that she had visions of wanting to go on the LPGA tour. She was she'd already won the the money ranking three or four times in Japan, and then she decided that uh, maybe aspirations of going to the LPGA tour at the age of you know her early thirties, which is quite old for an Asian player to make that decision. And she would have been no sorry late twenties, and she was probably 28, 29. And um, so anyway, uh, uh, Yuri uh, took me on. As well, teach me English and you know, caddy for me. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But uh, what I didn't realize, she was very, very difficult to caddy for, very, very difficult because she was such her own boss. She was, she was such her own, you know, you uh, lit- literally just,
0: all the yeah, you're just a bag carrier, really, aren't you? She's used to just taking the, a different caddy each week. You've got to assume that she's pretty much doing everything herself because you can't possibly yes, yeah. change caddies every week yeah. as a top player any other way.
1: Yeah, and the funny part was she walked fast. She did everything fast, like a, most Japanese tour players do. And I was I was used to that. But the funny part was she she had the yardage before I actually came back and had the yardage. You know, so I had to really quicken up. <laughs>
0: she was out caddying you. up
1: everything. <laughs> well, she was she was out caddying me, you know, and, and playing on the same time it was so funny. You know, and uh, yeah, but, but she was difficult and um, uh, very very tough to caddy for and hard, very very tough. And and uh, so anyway, we won twice. The funny part, you know, most guys would be keep their job after that but yuri decided after uh, eight weeks uh eight nine weeks i think it was nine weeks she goes uh you know dean zen's and zen, dummy no good
0: <laughs> oh, that was it
1: <laughs> so that was it we parted company. two so wins
0: fight. in nine weeks and you're gone
1: yeah tough yeah, school yeah, yeah. Well, tough school tough school asia is a tough school yeah so um uh yeah you know went on from yuri and i thought what am i going to do now and I, there was a a young Japanese girl looking to go to the LPGA tour, go back to America. And I thought, okay, I'll go and help her out for a couple of months. And that ended up blossoming. We we did all right. And then uh, I did end up doing the full season for her in America on the LPGA tour. And from that, I, uh, 2008 now, and at the start of 2008, uh, I was at home and I got a phone call uh, to, from a, Good buddy of mine, Sean Clues, who caddied at the time he was caddying for a Korean girl called Hee Won Hun, and um, and now and and, and that, at that time, sorry, uh, Sean turned around and said, uh, "Look, there's a young Korean girl looking for looking for a uh, caddy to uh, to work for the Gold Coast, uh, sorry, the Melbourne tournament, the uh, 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 where were we were at Kingston Heath Australian Open mm-hmm. in 2008, Women's Open, and then." Uh, she's going to go up and wants to play the uh, Gold Coast event uh, on the Gold Coast, the Australian Masters. And I said, okay, great. Um, I decided to, yeah, okay, I'll do it a couple of weeks. I didn't know much about this young girl and, uh, and we, we met each other at the golf course. Uh, ironically, I had met her over at a dinner in in, in, uh, in France at the Evian event the year before. Um, so Evian was part of the, uh, the LPGA tour, so we went across and did that, and um, the funny part was, I met this young Korean girl at a dinner, and um, but I didn't realise that I'd be meeting her six months again caddying for her. I didn't have a clue that I was supposed to caddy for her. I just walked past her at the putting green. She was waving at me, and then I went over and I said, "Oh, nice to meet you." I met you in I met you in uh, France. Da, 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 da. She goes, "Yeah, um, I'll see you at eight o'clock tomorrow." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "Oh, you're caddying for me." I'm like, "Oh, oh right."
0: Somebody <laughs> didn't somebody put two and two together. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, this tells you how smart I am. But anyway, I did. so anyway, the end up caddying for um, yeah, young girls' name was uh, G H M.
0: What an interesting and different view of the game you get from the caddies. I hope that you're enjoying some of Dean's insights as he's talking here. Now, while you're contemplating everything that he's said so far, there's a little bit of admin that I need to get through. So. Firstly, a reminder to check out the back catalogue of The Thing About Golf if you've only recently discovered us. You'll find an eclectic mix of guests from course designers to administrators and even the odd writer. Two ways you can access the archives. First, by visiting the Golf Australia website and clicking the podcast tab at the top of the page or the best way is simply to become a subscriber. It's free and means that not only do you get access to all of our past shows, but all of our future episodes simply arrive on the phone as soon as they're released. It's what all the woke kids are doing, and you'll find us on all the major listening apps, which for most people will be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you're using any of the others, we know that you're an advanced podcast listener. Uh, And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with a suggestion or some feedback, you can contact me on Twitter at at Rod underscore Morrie. That's capital R-O-D underscore capital M-O-R-R-I. My direct messages are open. Uh, I do get messages from lots of people, which is fantastic, and I do try to respond them, to them all. If I have missed you, if you've sent me something I haven't responded, send me another message and I will make sure to write that wrong. The show also has its own handle on Twitter at, at @thinggolf, capital T-H-I-N-G, capital G-O-L-F, good one to follow to keep up with episode releases. Uh, you can also go through the Golf Australia magazine Twitter feed at, at Golf Mag. G O L F A U S T. M-A-G. Uh, You can look up the magazine on Facebook, just search for Golf Australia uh, magazine, not organisation or if you're really, really old school, send us an email golf at golfaustralia.com.au Now if you didn't write all that down, shame on you. I just, of course, links to all of those communication methods can be found in the show notes below. That's enough out of me. Time to get back to Dean Hurden.
1: So GA, the Um, after the first day the practice round I'll see you at 8 o'clock we we didn't go to the driving range and um, so we went straight on the first hit a couple of putts went straight on the first tee to have the practice round and uh, we had a wonderful day just you know she didn't bother doing any practice afterwards because she was still a little bit uh, she said she's just still tired from the flight from the you know the the Saturday night flight or the Sunday flight whatever it was and so um, anyway I said okay fine we'll see you tomorrow and um, you know and I got thinking that night over dinner. This girl hardly missed a shot. <laughs> you know, during the eighteen holes, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, she plays pretty good. Wow, you know, didn't miss a fairway. Sometimes dropped down two balls, and the second ball would go exactly where you wanted, in the first ball, as, as did the first ball. Um, so anyway, yeah, the second day, uh, we were, we met each other at the range, the driving range, or the car park, basically. Then we walked to the range and and started hitting balls and start you know to the hundred sign, there's a Big round sign, about a metre wide, and so she starts hitting shots to that. Anyway, all of a sudden, the third ball goes clunk, big big noise, you know, and the, and the fifth ball clunk again, <laughs> you know, and then three in a row hit it. And I'm going, wow, she's a decent wedge player. Wow, you know, I didn't think that good, but anyway, yeah, she's a decent wedge player. Wow. Anyway, so get get onto the 150, and of course, you know, she's got the seven iron out and the six iron out and whatever. Uh, clunk again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, now, people won't believe God you doesn't. about this, Dean, but she really is and was that good, isn't she? Players will fawn over rounds of golf they play with her and say exactly what you. she literally never missed a shot. No,
1: doesn't. Doesn't. I can honestly say that G.A. probably has one. I mean, she's the one player, you know, there's certain players for caddy for that actually there's, you know, People talk about there's shot makers and there's good scorers. Mm-hmm. Um, GA was the shot maker, and uh, you know she she would win a golf tournament in ball striking. You know most you know, look at the PGA Tour stats. You know the best putter wins. Yeah, of course. Okay. You know a lot of the time, GA would actually win tournaments from a ball striking, and because it's four days, yeah. the three day tournament, the three day tournaments they sometimes have on the LPGA events and and, and women's tournaments. Ga's a chance of winning okay. because uh, because her uh, ball striking is so good. Day and if her putting's a little bit, if it's just consistently the same, or yeah, not quite on, you know, um, she'll have less chance of winning the three rounder than she will the actual four rounder because she wear the field out. She would wear them out yeah. just for the ball striking. She consistent, consistent, consistent. Yeah, Never miss. Ga has the one thing that I, I I'm wondering whether it's in the Guinness Book of Records or not, but um, the. We had a, a 110 tee time at the Korean LPGA Championships. So on the, fir- on the first day, on the Thursday, so we're basically the last group, the second last group. And they did that for television reasons, I guess. But the um, so we haven't teed off yet. The leading score was one under on the leaderboard. It was you know quite windy, and um, I think G. Shin must hold this record for any golf professional. It's a four round tournament, you know uh, LPGA event. She held her second shot on the first hole to go to two under and led the tournament for 72 holes and <laughs> went on to win
0: it by three. So at no stage was she ever behind the leader? Correct. Wow.
1: And with an afternoon tea time on with an, uh, now, Yeah, exactly. the guy
0: Half the field posted 8, already. 8, 8 yeah, they're out on the course and players are doing it. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? That is, uh, that is truly She rewarding. held
1: a second shot and, um, yeah, she hit a utility club and we couldn't see the green. It was elevated and um, – and all of a sudden the gallery just went mad, you know, the you know, oh, must have gone in. we get up there, of course, you know, it was in the hole. But we'd, we'd went straight – one under was leading the tournament. She went straight to two under and then and ended up winning the thing by it, three or they, four. Never never lost the lead. Yeah.
0: Yeah, hardcore so, yeah. golf fans will know the name G.A. Shin. And they might even know a bit of the stuff that sort of you and I are suggesting there if you're a really avid follower of the game, just what a special mm. talent she is. But we never really got to see G.A. Shin play – at sort of the top levels on the LPGA, which is where all the attention is. Um, she mm. plays mostly in Japan and at home in Korea. Well, tell people why that is, Dean, because it's it's quite a sad mm. but also quite a, a heartening story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, G.A. is very – I mean, she, she lost a mum at the age of 13 and, and, uh,
0: a, car and uh, excel, a very driven
1: player. She um, uh, 2008, she won the British Open, and that was a big turning point for her because it was the first international event outside Korea to win and um which automatically gave her the the run of going to play the lpga Mm -hmm. um and she thought okay great in that same year 2008 she also won in japan and and it allowed her to play the japanese tour and um so anyway she basically her father really pushed her to play the lpga because it was the one tour that you know Mm -hmm. you know the glitz the glamour the the prize money's bigger and, and everything and uh but Jujia had the soft spot for Japan uh, after spending uh, just a few weeks there and, and playing some tournaments and stuff. And so, um, but now she's turned around and won the British later that year. And now she has her LPGA license to play the tour there and, and, and in America. And, uh, and her dad pushed her to, to go do it. And, um, and she did uh, 2009, leading money winner. And, uh, and, 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 Became number one in the world from uh, Lorena Ochoa. <clears throat> when Lorena announced her retirement, the GA became number one in the world straight away. And so, um, what transitioned from that? GA got to play. We played so many tournaments in two, 2008 and 2009. I think we played 38 tournaments in 2008. I think we played 37 in 2009. Wow. And they weren't just down, they weren't just down the road. They were you know uh, all over the place. We we're in you know, Tokyo one week. The, next, the following week we we're going across to California. Uh, following week after that, we're on. We're heading over to Ervion, or you know, going to play the Ervion Masters or something, and then back to Japan again uh, to try and. She tried to keep her card basically alive on both
0: tours. Both tours, yeah. That's a...
1: Which was really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, it's really tough to do for any pro golfer to keep a card on uh, one tour, let alone uh, trying to keep it going on two or three. So um, from that, um, GA now it's two thousand nine, two thousand ten. You know, and. I could tell she really didn't grasp America. Um, you know, she liked it, you know, going for touring trips or something a week off or, you know, going here there, but she really didn't uh take it to heart or love it, you know, as much as she loved playing in Japan. So um anyway, as it turned out, um uh, she got her way and uh decided to she had that big talk with her father and most Korean players are very connected with their parents and their father, so um, you know, they, they, they had the meeting and um, obviously Dad gave her permission, okay, we can go and play the Japanese tour. And, and she loves it there now. And, and you know, she's been in the top five in the money list and for the last seven or eight years there. Um, world ranking-wise, you don't get as much points in Japan, uh, which is kind of, I think that's suffered. Uh, that doesn't rank her as, as good as what she really is still. And I think she's still in the top 25 or something or top 30. And believe- she really basically, if you're going to rank GA, I would still put her at 10th in the world.
0: Yeah. We just don't get to um, yeah. see her, do we, as fans, very often, because she plays predominantly in Japan. It's very rare that we actually get to see her. But what a player. She's been to here as to Australia. She's got a very good relationship with Australia. Of course, she had that playoff with Kari. Was that that week? Was that 08 when you caddied for her and her yes. and Kari were in a yeah. playoff? That yeah, was, was an amazing, incredible finish you know, to the Open.
1: turned around and birdied 16-17 or something to, to, to get into the playoff. And then uh, after three, three holes... Uh, you know the beautiful thing. Uh, I think uh, Australia got to capture a lot of GA and what her character was about was, yeah. was uh, when soon as Curry held the part the ABC television had the camera straight on GA, and there she was clapping, and, and she had a tear in her eye for Curry because she knew it was a big event for her to win her local yeah, uh, right. uh, Open Championship, and and it was I think it was a big. Uh, turning point for Curry because she hadn't won in a while, so mm. the GA figured that out straight away, and she knew it impacted Australia a lot. And she hit there it was on the camera. She's up there clapping away, and gave her the biggest hug. And, yeah. You know, she's just a great loser, GA. You know, she's a great winner, but she's a, she's also if she finishes second, she's the most humble, gracious. Humble I think is the word be.
0: you're looking for as opposed to great. That would suggest she's very good at losing, which she isn't. But <laughs> when she loses, yeah. she's gracious, which is a a different gracious. thing. GA, of course, a very special talent. You, you are now based in Korea. We might talk about that shortly. But just run through some of the, the names that people will recognize. I think you caddied for – now, let me get this right. So we know you caddied for Injie Chun because you mentioned that when she won the US Open. Mm. So you're on you, you caddied so for her mm. when she won the US Open? So Young,
1: I got very lucky. Uh, uh, very lucky. Um, I, when GA and I were part of the company in 2011. My, mom, my mother had a bad case of Alzheimer's. So uh, I, I found it really tough traveling. And being away from her, you know, knowing that she's, you know, suffering, so I decided it was a hard decision. GA was number two in the world at the time, uh, but I decided that enough was enough, and um, you know, the the uh, I'll probably just put the caddy on hold for a while mm-hmm. and go home. And so I did that. Um, lo and behold, about six months later, um, I'm getting a uh, I get a a phone call from uh, so young's manager in Korea and um, in uh, which I knew really well. He's a good friend of mine. Um, Mike, his name was, and uh, So Young really wants you to. Are you free to come and caddy for So Young? Won a tournament in Korea uh, two or three weeks before the U.S. Open, um, and that was on the Korean tour. So her game got a little, a little lost there for a couple of years, and then uh, she turned around, one. So she was on a bit of a comeback trail, and then um, lo and behold, that winning that tournament put her in a category that which allowed her to play the U.S. Open. I don't know what category that was, but anyway, um, now she's playing the US Open plus Evian, and she asked me to, if, you know, would you mind coming away from Australia and coming caddy, caddy for her for those two weeks, the US Open and the Evian. So, lo and behold, it is the US Open in 2011 at the Broadmoor, and um, we rocked up and had, a, you know, nice practice rounds and all the usual routine, you know, and um, uh, by the end of the week... You know, it was a uh, it was a long drawn out week because the USGA, I really felt location wise, they really screwed up at um, that time of year. Um, it was in July, and it's you could pretty much set your watch on, a th- on an afternoon thunderstorm in Colorado. So um, the worst part about it was, you know, now we've got the US Open, we're trying to stage a golf event. And, being four o'clock in the afternoon and raining as much as it was, uh, the, the tournament ended up being dragged on and delays and stops and starts. It was a really hard week. And um, anyway, lo and behold, uh, we, uh, we get around to the 16th tee in the last round and probably one of my mo- most embarrassing moments in life, I think, it was standing on the tee there and uh, it was getting dark. It was 8.20 at night and there's four groups behind us and it's getting dark. So, we're not going to finish. We know that. It's just a matter of trying to get as many holes in as possible and then walk off. Well, So bent down on 16T there, and, and it's a short part three downhill, but behind it was some thick pine trees and really struggling to see the flag stick. And, and uh, Saw Young kind of looked at me and There's Where's the flag stick? And I've gone, Oh, hang on, we can't see the flag stick. So, we'll call it. So, I walked across to the rules official and said to him, I said, Oh, mate, we just like to call it. Thanks. You know, we can't see the flag stick. Can we go in? And he abruptly turned around and gone, no, you've got to tee it up. And I've gone, well, no, we don't. We can't see the flagstick, mate. So we want to walk in. And it's windy. I'm thinking, you know, we're a shot behind the lead. He Kyung so had already finished and she was leading the tournament. And um, we're one shot behind the lead. And I'm thinking, oh, it'd be nice if we can get off the golf course now because these next three holes are going to be really tough. Mm. So the rules official said, no he says you, uh, Morgan Pressel and uh, Paula Kramer behind you they asked for to stop play and that was you know and I said well how long ago was that and he says about 6-7 minutes ago and I said well it's 6 or 7 minutes darker now
0: <laughs> this is how this you works know? it gets darker so, the longer it goes on my friend you might have missed this you know, yeah
1: and you know, there's 20 or 30 people around the back of the tee and um, you know the gallery and, um, and I'm just kind of in, you're caught up in your emotion because you've got a chance to win the US mm-hmm. Open you know? and I've said to the guys you know you're kidding me! It's six or seven in the star group. I mean, what, I've never heard this before. I mean, what are you talking about? He says, "If you don't hit it, you're going to be disqualified." I've gone, "What?" And I said, "Now you're going to another level." <laughs> I said, "I've never heard of a player being disqualified well, so <laughs> not hitting a golf ball."
0: But at that, well, at that stage, there though, you're kind of now the problem, aren't you? Your player's about to be yes. punished for something that you're forcing the issue on. So that's a huge yeah. responsibility to have. There must be a lot of stuff yeah. swirling around in the mind while that's going on.
1: Exactly. And, Rod, I mean, I've I, you know, got utmost respect for rules officials on the golf course. I don't go off at all, and you know, I totally appreciate it. And some of these people are, you know, they're doing it on volunteer. It's volunteer basis sometimes with the USGA. They're bringing in officials that work for the GA USGA from all over the country to come and caddy, uh, sorry, the rules officials. And we've got the luxury of that week of having a rules official for each group, you know, so it's pretty much instant whatever goes on out there. You can get instant ruling, you know? And so I've got the utmost respect for those people. And they were long days, very, very long days, and it was a long week. But I kind of lost it with this guy. <laughs> and, and I said, "Mate, get on the," I said, "Get on the walkie-talkie. Get Mike Davis. Get whoever you want on the walkie-talkie, and get somebody out here. Where you'd come and have a look at this flag stick. And uh, so anyway, he radioed in, and Mike Davis is on the other end, I think, and he's turned around, and going, "Oh, look, we're, we're thinking about calling it anyway." And I'm just shaking my head and I'm losing it. You know, the, the, the gallery, 20 or 30 people behind the tea are just laughing their heads off. And I said, well, Why don't you call the RNA in Scotland? You know, like this. It's one o'clock in the morning. You know,
0: what, what would be known in this day and age as a Karen Dean is what you've done yeah. here. <laughs> That's what's yeah. happened there. Exactly. Understandable, though. So,
1: anyway, we had to cut a couple of story short. I'm sorry to drag you on for listeners. But um, the, um, the funny part was um, yeah, okay, they've called it. We walked in. Um, you know, and I was pretty irate still when I got in. <laughs> you know, like still, God, I can't believe this guy wanted to disqualify us. You know, anyway, uh, the funny part was we got in. There was no no drama, and then uh, next morning had to tee it up, and uh, not a not a hardly a breath of breeze. The next morning, sun's out. We've got Perfect. Three holes to play. So Young's done what she's done, and she's basically gone par par birdie. Hit a beautiful uh, five iron shot in six feet uh, on eighteen, and made the putt. And uh we're going now in the playoff. But the luxury that Saw so Young had was she's already hit she's already played three holes. Already
0: played three holes, he not young. just hit balls on the range, played three holes, exactly.
1: Yeah. She's actually played holes. She's done the warm up and then gone yeah. and played three holes. So Different thing. He just on the range warming up, so she doesn't know, you know, what a mojo is feeling like or you know, we've already gone through that but by playing three holes, so, yeah. um, That's so, a so we So bad had break isn't it? And, um,
0: bad break for her, good for break sure. for Sao Young, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. But it was a tough week it, overall. I mean, to be honest with you now, I'm not taking anything away from Young at all. You know, we won the event. I was really happy. But to be honest with you, I think there was only two people happy that week. It was such a tough week. Um, and it's just a long, drawn-out tournament. And Kung uh, was very, very unlucky. She played wonderful golf to shoot the score she did by finishing Sunday night. And uh, we said so those three holes mattered a lot at the yeah. end.
0: The cruel, uh, um, part of the cruelty of the game, Dean. That, that's, it is. Sometimes it, is. it falls for you. have take fun. it on the
1: chin. That's it exactly it, right.
0: You, know, yeah, like, you, you, mm. you can only do what you can do. Well, yeah, she, She's quite special, Seon, isn't she? Not just as a player. She's a fantastic player, but she's quite a special <laughs> human being. She's uh, And she's got a great affinity here with Australia. It's do quite a few of the Korean players. They come out here and play both the Australian Women's Open and the Vic Open, both LPGA events, of course. So we get to see some of the big-name players. But they always seem to enjoy their time here. There's a real affinity. I know that, well, Sayon's unusual. She likes Vegemite. I don't think most people would uh, – <laughs> <laughs> would cop to that, but she has a real affinity. She gave, I think, half of her winnings at the Vic Open this past year to the bushfire relief fund. She had to be talked out of giving all of them. I think it was who told her that she didn't have to give one hundred percent. Fifty percent would be enough. She did a similar thing, I think, at the start of the year with COVID. She won a tournament in Korea, did she not? And gave all of her winnings Correct. to COVID. She just recently. Won the Korean
1: Open. She just won the Korean Open a few weeks ago, and. Uh very special in yeah. yeah,
0: Just a fantastic, um, wonderful, and a wonderful player uh, to watch play. Just fantastic. Her
1: personality is very, very special. Uh, I got to meet So Young in 2008 while I was canning for GA, and um, she, I'd never met her before. And all of a sudden, hardly, you've got to, people have uh, got to understand, 10, 15 years ago in Korea, not many people, the percentage of people speaking English was very, very low. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this wave that's happened in Korea where a lot of uh, young students went off to America in the 90s and early 2000s to, you know, to study English and, and the, the parents pushed them out. They'd go to New Zealand, Australia, America, or wherever and um, basically they'd learn English. But, you know, and, and the the outcome of that is the wave is now coming back to be with their grandparents. Now they're married, and you know, they're back and they're fluent in English. So two waves are happening yeah. where English is being studied and, and, and practiced, but the other wave is the people coming back from overseas. And so now this country right now, you Back in those days, I'd say two or three, two and seven, uh, two and ten would speak English. Uh, now you're looking at six or seven people right. speak English. You know, you, of course, so i a huge difference. Yeah, you live in Korea, do, so you, we,
0: do you speak Korean, Dean, or do you get by just speaking English? Well. In Korea? Right,
1: okay. I just, I don't, as I said, the point I just made is six or seven people speak English now over yeah. ten. So you don't need to. I'm, I'm a little lazy. Yeah. Um, I'm a little lazy. I, I haven't um, studied up on it much at all. But Soyoung's case was um, she came. She, 2008. I mean, she she, was a, she went to uh, Yonsei University here, and which is a very yeah. high class university. But she got into studying English in, in while she was in the university, and she came walking up to me the first day I met her, and she says, "Hi, my name's Soyoung, and I speak English, you know, very well." And I was I was just like flabbergasted, and I'm oh, Soyoung gave her a big hug, and hey, how you doing? You know, big smile, and she was just a breath of yeah. fresh air, you know, just unbelievable. G.A. and her got on really well, and that was her rookie year, 2008, and she turned around and won that tournament. That was her very first tournament as a professional. Wow. She won it, the KLPGA Tour, and there was big raps on her because she she was a national team player and amateur, top amateur in that. So, but um, what I'm getting forward to was uh, that So Young, G.A., and a, another woman called Hikyung So actually broke down the wall on the LPGA a little bit. There was a little bit of a uh, – I wouldn't say, you know, the big – Big huge influx of players, Korean players coming on the LPGA tour, and there was a bit of what's the word? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, just slight friction between sure, you know, an American player or a Western player would be like, Oh, not another, another Korean's gonna, you know, kick our butt or do (laughs) it. So there was a bit of what's the word? I don't know, friction, I guess. So young turns around, wins the US Open, and you know, in, in what, 2011, and but. GA had already been out there. I think GA was one of the big instigators because she's such a wonderful personality, you know, and So Young, wonderful personality, and uh, another girl called Hyeong So, and, and who, you know, everybody adored, you know, just great personality. They all spoke English quite well. They were, or they were, you know, wanting to speak English really well. Classy, um, classy. So they broke the wall. The, the, the wall came down because their personalities were way, Way above some of the, some of the Western, girls yeah. Well, are, that's exactly yeah, right. And the, they're
0: all bit, and their sense yeah. of entitlement. That we, uh, it's not uncommon to see sometimes in the <laughs> game in the West. But what is Enough the key? It. What? Why do we see this influx of Korean women players in particular? We don't see it as much with the men, and we know that there's a there's a military uh, conscription service element to that. That. The young guys lose a year or two of competitive golf at a pretty crucial time in their career. And I think that goes a long way to explain. We've seen some fantastic starts to careers, which have then sputtered after having to go and do national service. But what is it about the women's game in Korea that produces these really quite remarkable golfers that we see come out of Korea? And is the game as popular in Korea, the women's game, as we're led to believe? Some people will tell you it's 10 times more popular than the men's game.
1: Yes, it is. It's probably we're Not, not, not as I wouldn't say ten times, but it's it's uh, the ratings are up there. Uh, definitely more than the men. Uh, they're such a good product. Uh, the girls present themselves well, right? You know, they, they dress well. They, they look are fit. You know, uh, they, they train hard. But the, the, I think the bigger picture is they're trained as professional golfers early. Uh, they've got this wonderful three tier system, the KLPGA, all out of the one office. Um, They've got one tour, which you can just imagine a young girl, 16, 17, wanting to be a budding professional, you know. Um, So she's got, where do you go? So they've got this system in Korea. You can just rock up and go play a jump tour event. They call it jump tour because you're making the jump from amateur to professional. And what it is, is uh, you're able to play as an amateur, uh, but no, can't accept any prize money um, if you're not a member of the KLPGA. So, but you're still able to go play those events and pay an entry for. Um, and you were able to earn points.
0: So you test yourself, get to see how so good you are yourself, yeah. against the others of that level, yeah.
1: So then by the end of the season, if you're playing all these events, there's 22 events, 23 events, and there's jump it. So you're able to earn points, and then uh, if your points are high enough, and um, and you, you move on to the what they call the dream tour, which is a secondary tour, or the second tour. And once you start making it on the dream tour, now, then you're it allows you to get get onto the KLPGA tour. So any girl that you see on TV you know, on the LPGA tour, they've already played basically two, three tours to to be um, to be where they are. And you know, so it a uh, uh, it, it's it's very strong in the amateur ranks here as well. Mm-hmm. But it's got this avenue of hardening and toughening of, of a, a tour player, of traveling around Korea and, and being and the way they conduct themselves professionally is so much. It's it's wonderful. You know they've got a great, wonderful system. You know, mm-hmm. and so this three tier system was uh, is is definitely working, and it's and it's part of the it's definitely part of the reason why the numbers are there. There's Massive numbers coming through, and um, it's 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 amazing. You know, I, I mentioned to, to um, when uh, uh, to Chung Inji won the uh, U.S. Open in two thousand and fifteen, I was speaking to some. Media guys, and I mentioned this three-tier system to this guy, and the, and the guy turned around and said, "Oh, that's like our triple A in baseball, you know, blah blah blah." And I said, "Exactly. You know, that's why you've got wonderful baseball players in America because you've got this wonderful tier system. So it, You know, you, you can actually go play a tour. You
0: know, had you had uh, so, that, Dean, who knows who knows how 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 much better you might have been, or how much earlier you would have realized that you weren't going to make it. That's the two things it does, isn't that, it? it? It confirms for those who are good thing. enough, and it tells people who aren't." Long before they've dedicated too much time and money to it, you're probably not going to make it. Think about giving it away, that, perhaps.
1: You hit that right on the head, right? You know, it's just the, the girls going to know early, quickly, uh, and the age of eighteen. Or you know, I couldn't make it on the jump tour, so I'm, give me a tennis racket.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'll, try, you know? I'll go and try something else. Investment uh, banking, maybe. Yeah, exactly.
1: Dad or Dad's pushing a tennis racket. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Well, you know, you're not making it as a golfer. Here's a tennis racket.
0: Give Give that um, a go. So, in which which brings us to this point. Lots of we don't hear almost anything about the KLPGA. It's an extremely healthy, mm-hmm. extremely competitive tour. And as you've just pointed out, a player like Sung Hyun Park can arrive on the LPGA and be a revelation to all of us. Whereas people in Korea are saying, "Well, why are you surprised? She's won already. What eight or nine times? I think she'd won on the KLPGA before she went to yeah. America to the LPGA." How many Sung Hyun Parks are there in Korea? Well,
1: I can I can, I can name you know, there's two or three of them, but uh already coming through. But Sung Hyun was. Unique. I mean, athletic body and rip
0: the ball. I what mean, an extraordinary golfer. Yeah. What a pleasure to watch. No idea how to play golf yeah. at times, but what an extraordinary ability to hit the ball. <laughs> but, well, funnily <laughs> enough, what she needs, Dean, is a good caddy that she'll listen to. I think. Yeah. A player like her uh, is that that that's the, that's the the key to the, get to the next level is to learn how to play golf. Yeah, Sunyen. has
1: uh, Sun got a wonderful caddy on the bag right now, David Jones. But not not only that, David is a Hell of a player himself in Ireland, a top amateur player. Uh, he played in the, um, uh, this, the same amateur team as uh, Graham. Um, uh, What's what his name? Graham yeah. won the US Open. I not yeah. think of his name. But um, he, uh, yeah, David himself is a top amateur player. And, um, and now he's, and David's been uh, caddying now for uh, well over probably 10 years now. But he's giving her wonderful uh, advice right now. And he's playing, as he plays the LPGA Tour, Um there's a lot of them coming through, mate. There's a there's the next wave. Uh, a girl called Hee Jung Lim. Uh, Sorry, uh, hang on, good, are, they, any, are, they,
0: are these the names that we will be saying in three years as listeners to the thing about golf heard it here first?
1: <laughs> Basically, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah so, okay. I,
1: mean, I, I, I would even go to say two years. Okay, within he, two years,
0: Hee Jung Lim. Uh, you
1: got Hee he Jung Lim. Yep. If anybody uh, wants to uh, watch a copybook golf swing, uh, check out Hee Jung Lim on the on YouTube. Uh, Minji Park uh, Park. Hyun Kung Park she's a a wonderful player too and there's this massive big hitter a young girl from Jeju called Hei Ran Ru and um, absolute bombs it a mile and uh, can I mean these girls are having amazing seasons this year Um, uh, two of those girls Hee Jung and uh, Minji uh, had their rookie seasons last year but here's the connection with Australia Rod uh, with those two players but but Hee Jung Minji and uh, and uh, Heyrun, they all came down to Australia to play the Australian Amateur Championships. So the, these Korean girls are quite familiar with Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, we've always that's why we've always had a good connection with Australia and uh, um, with the Korean players. They 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 all love Australia and um, they, they enjoy the environment. They love the golf courses more than anything. And uh, the um, but yeah, as I said, the, the the Golf Australia are doing a wonderful job there with the relations between the Cape. Cape KGA, the Korean Golf Association. And mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, these younger, 15, 14, uh, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds seventeen-year-olds, are all coming down um, at their early age to get that experience and play Australia, so which yeah. is great. The,
0: the thing that interests me the most about that, Dean, is that there seems to be yeah, – stereotyping is a dangerous thing, obviously, but the number of – I think of NG Chun at um, Royal Adelaide a couple – not Royal Adelaide, uh, where did she win the Australian? Was it the Grange in South Australia? That-
1: uh, yes, you're, you're talking about uh, Jin
0: Young-ko. Oh, sorry, Jin Young-ko. Sorry, yeah, it's not in Ji-chan. Yeah. They, they get it. So it's a it's a completely different type of golf to what they're exposed to, I would imagine. Maybe you can set me straight on that. What I, what they are exposed to, I would imagine, week in and week out, certainly in America and probably in Korea. But there seems to be at the very top level amongst the Korean players an innate understanding, which I think ji Shin had as well. By winning a British Open, you sort of prove that, don't you? An innate understanding of how the game Whatever that that course happens to demand, am I right about that? Do you think? And is is that yeah, not a Korean correct. thing? That's just a good golfer thing, perhaps.
1: Correct. I'd like, say fifteen years ago, the Korean players coming out were just you know machines. They they weren't thinking much, and you know they, they, they were straight off the driving range, those you know three story driving range uh, platform places, that, you know, and then go to play a golf course because they didn't golf course still quite expensive in Korea uh, as it is in Japan. And um, so they didn't get to play the course that many times, you know. And, um, but the, that type of player was around. now the, the parents have woken up to the fact of these, of these young girls that they're, they're pushing them out to play in different countries to go what they call winter training. Uh, winter training is the, the two or three months uh, that, you know, to go practice during the off-season. And, you know, the, the the big thing in here in Korea is that a lot of the golf coaches here take big groups away for their winter training and a lot of them are, consist of 15, maybe 10 to 15 tour players in that group. So they're off to play in the United States for two or three months or might be in Hawaii and then all of a sudden down to Australia or New Zealand. So uh, um, but the, the last 15 years I would say the the Korean KLPGA players uh, have realised the benefit of actually getting out during that winter training and that off season, and getting out to do, and a lot of them sometimes head to Australia because of the firm conditions and golf courses are different, and you know, um, just the different style of golf. So
0: it's, so one of the, the, it's one of the which diffi- makes them
1: aware to it.
0: Yeah, it's one of the difficult lessons of golf, isn't it? And particularly the better a player you are, is that there is much more to success than just being able to hit the ball. There are, in fact, thousands of people who can hit the ball well. But doesn't mean that you'll be good at golf. That other element is mm. crucial, isn't it? Oh,
1: huge, huge! And a- another factor I'll kick in there too as well, right? Is the teaching in Korea has improved so much in the last fifteen years. Um, a lot of young uh, Koreans uh, went off to the US or went off to uh, either Aus- Australia. Um, one of the top coaches here uh, used to work with Ozzy Moore on the Gold Coast.
0: Okay,
1: uh, see, see where his name is. Um, see where uh, see where, I can't remember his last name, but anyway. He, he worked with Aussie, uh on the Gold Coast and uh, you know he, he all of a sudden came back to Korea with a few of his new ideas as well and really studied up and the coaching itself in Korea is, has, has taken a, a huge leap and uh, and it, it's, it's it's wonderful now some of the even the some of the Japanese players are now looking at uh, getting uh, coached by Korean coaches you know on the from the Japanese tour in the women's side of things anyway mm-hmm. and I uh, know
0: you would have seen a lot of changes in the women's game and the way the world and the golf world reacts to women's golf. Have you is that right? Have you seen those changes? And what, what do you make of the state of golf and its relationship with women and women's golf in this day and age? Ah,
1: oh, I tell you what. 20, the last twenty years, I've just seen a massive. The Koreans have raised the bar. It's just a, it's a, it's a, the quality. I mean, the ball striking and. Uh, it, it, the Koreans have just taken it through the roof. Uh, basically, have yeah, it. You know, it, it, back in the day, it uh, women's golf not it, not many people. You, you know, we followed it. You know, we had our Jan Stevens, we had a Nancy Lopez, and all that stuff. And I, I, I followed it in America, the LPGA stuff now. But the the, 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 the Korean, the quality of golf now is unbelievable. I mean, um, even I was talking to uh, Nancy Scranton one time many years ago. Nancy, former LPGA player. and Um, and Nancy's retired now, but she came and did some TV work one week or uh, there was some reason she was at the A&A tournament and um, you're talking away and she goes, oh, my God, she says, if I played now, I would never have made the cut. (laughs) And uh, she said she would have had so many weekends off, but now these Koreans have just taken the the sport to a way, way new level. And um,
0: Anyone who makes the effort to go out and watch – Women's professional golf, I think for the most part, golfers come away surprised, exactly as you say, just how good they are, and the depth is probably what's really changed. You always had a top handful of players, didn't you? The top players could always play, yes. but the depth yes. now... In the entire field, exactly. There, there, there's no, there's no bottom third of the field that has no chance to win. That's not the case anymore. For the most part in women's golf, where it probably was true, as you say, Correct. 10 or fifteen the, years ago.
1: The other thing I really love, Rod. The other thing I really love about women's the the women's sports they they promote the sport really well. Yeah, very well. much. Yeah. Um. You know, the the women are so pleasant to the gallery. I'm not saying that you know the men are you know nasty or whatever, and all that. But I'm just saying there's that you know that male female sometimes the male arrogance. Do you reckon that's as
0: much about (laughs) money as anything, though, Dean? The women realise that they need to work harder to get half of the sponsorship dollars attracted to the sport. I think if you go back to what we look on in many ways, a lot of the time as a sort of a golden era, when you had the great triumvirate of Player, Palmer and Nicholas, and they used to come here to Australia on a regular basis and play the Australian Open, much of that was actually to do with money. Modern players, which is no knock on it, but McElroy and Woods and um, Spieth and Kepka, they don't need to come to Australia because they don't need the money. I wonder what part that yeah, plays up. in. I agree with your assessment about women's golf and all of the women's tournaments I've been to, the players do tend to be much more open and giving than what you see in men's golf, but I wonder how much of that is to do with just the financial realities. You've got to work harder for, well, not even the same outcome.
1: Great point. Great point. Um, it's uh, But I do, I have found after hanging around, you know, the both both sides, uh, you know, the, uh, over the years. So I can honestly say most the, a lot of the women genuinely genuinely do it. They see that it's that it's that mother figure, you know, they see a kid on the mm-hmm. they see a kid on the edge of the putting green and you know, they'll they'll go up and
0: talk to him, you know. Nicer they, people they than us a, Dean. That's what you're saying. Women are nicer people sorry? than us blo- women are nicer people than us blokes. Couple of points here. We'll start to wrap it off. Just had a had a look at the times. A couple of points you wanted to chat about in particular, or issues that you think are particularly important in golf. So, this probably touches on one of those. The first one you mentioned: stop promoting the prize money in pro events. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, mate. I'm a little bit anti. Uh, uh, I think uh, tennis made the decision 10, 12 years ago. I remember it, 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 you know, just to cut out the, uh, you know, the promoting the hell out of the, you know, making prize money is such a big aspect of. Uh, of tennis and um if you notice they they tried they do try to hide it they don't try and it's not out there on the poster you know you know splashed you know 20 million dollars this week or you know 15 million dollars whatever this week they're trying to take you know they're taking the uh, they're promoting the, uh, the the tournament name more than what they are the prize money but i just find golf um it's it disappoints me in a lot of ways where we're using golf uh, using money to promote golf you know to to get people's interests Our oh, first prize money is this and you know the total prize money's that
0: that, it doesn't work I think I think either, it, does it? This week we'll no, see the it, finale of the FedEx Cup, and no golf fan cares, and no golf fan believes that Dustin Johnson will feel any more pressure over a putt on the 8th for 15 million dollars versus two, because let's be frank, it's just another 15 million. That's the truth of it.
1: Dead right. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's a. It's worn out. I think it's been overused, mm. and you know you got to relate back to. You remember the tennis tournament the gold tennis record that, you know John Newcomb played against McEnroe or whatever it was years ago um a one million dollar challenge well that was huge then you know okay great you know but now it's just so much money being thrown around golf now that we really don't need to promote you know stop you know it's this it's this thing that if I look at the PGA Tour now uh, and it's this thing that has brought in over the last 25 years and it yeah, tournaments competing against each other. It's so frustrating. Um, and I, I think it needs to be nipped in the butt. I think tournaments now do just, just need to promote its na- name. Um, I just think, uh, a, a big, big thing that hit, hit me in the face more than anything. I think it was like, uh, uh, Rafa Nadal won the US Open and, um, JP Morgan, I think it is, uh, who sponsored the US Open tennis and which is currently going on this weekend. And, but I, I, um, I know, I remember when, after he won it, and they're handing over the, the 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 woman announcer for NBC or whatever, she and three point five million dollars, you know, and and the camera was on Rafa and you know, he's a guy that had simple upbringings and does so much for charities and you know you could tell you could tell he had hairs probably you know, just the twinge in the body language he gave when she mentioned it. It made him feel uncomfortable, mm. you know. And because there was so much prize money, when the, his actual passion is to try and win a tennis tournament, and I really, don't, I just think
0: society now doesn't, we really don't need to hear it. No, it's it because kind of tasteless and crass, and it is tasteless. That's the yeah, word I'm looking yeah. for. Prize money in the women's LPGA golf is wrong. What's wrong yeah, with it? Um, Not enough, I, too much. I, I, Poorly spread out? Uh,
1: it's No, it's just the way it's structured. I, I, no, not, not too much. Uh, no, the total, you know, it could probably be a little bit more, whatever, but that's just the structure of the prize money breakdown. Um, I think uh, it, a, there's a difference between PGA Tour and LPGA, mm-hmm. obviously the money, yes. What a lot of people don't realise is that the LPGA over the last 15 years has lost a lot of support sponsorship from golf companies to the players directly. Yep. Um, Golf companies used to support and sponsor players on the old PGA Tour a lot. And now the golf companies are just going straight to PGA Tour because that's the one with the TV ratings and uh, that's all we care about. So the girls basically something – you're only talking about maybe 30%, 40% of the girls out there are getting supported just by a golf company, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so uh, very, very small money in, in sponsorship support. Um, and they're out there battling away at their own, you know. With basically with their own money most of the time. So I look at golf, and it's been so obvious to me, uh, Rod, over the last probably five years that maybe the prize money of golf has been stru- structured wrong from the, from the get-go, you know, from 50 years ago when the PGA of America or whatever started or you know, whatever the tour started. And I started thinking about it, and, um, you know, it's just what's happened on the LPGA tour has made it more obvious where the girls are really, really struggling and – you know, there's only basically 60 girls, 50 girls out there making money each week. I know that because, you know, you're just looking at the you know, the travelling got to do. There's a lot of tournaments that actually support the girls and actually pay for their air tickets and stuff. For example, the Australian Open and that, to get the girls out there such a long distance away. Um, but the problem is, the, the, I think the big core of the problem is, is... Uh, you've got too much of a have and have not situation on the LPGA tour. You've got a girl that's going to win two and a half million and then you've got a hundredth place. The girl that's playing is number 100 or number 90. They're making up just over a hundred thousand um, dollars. And when you add up all the expenses, if you're playing 30 tournaments and it's three and a half, four grand a week to survive on tour, that adds up to about a hundred to $120,000 in your expenses. So, my idea would be to start structuring the prize money from the bottom up instead of from the top down.
0: Um, basically Lord, man, are you some sort of money. communist? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it, 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 the problem is what's happened, what I've seen, Rod, is professional golf used to be a five-year process to stay on tour and be able to stay on tour, you know. Um, you get a girl that's running 80th, 70th, 80th, okay, they're trying to work their way up the system. Right now it's very, very short. Girls are only lasting two years and they're out of it. You know, they're done, you know, uh, because they can't afford it or, you know, they can't work their way through. Um, I've just found it. i just found that any business, you know, you've got a, the basic of what I'm trying to say is you've got a player from Monday to Friday have paid their own expenses – to just try and make the cut. Now, last prize money should not should not be just to break even. You should be making
0: so I think the LP, more than yeah, yeah, The LPGA purses, I'm pretty sure, so the men's pay 18%, I think, to first place, and then it falls away very quickly. It's about half that for second place, and then it goes down. I think the LPGA, is the LPGA 20%, if I'm not mistaken, rather than 18%? Uh, it, no, it comes,
1: it comes down a bit, it fluctuates, yeah. Uh, and then you've got that CME event at the end of the year that's you know yeah. out of Aren't you a know, lot of prize money
0: there, but aren't you speaking just against competition there though, Dean? You've been a player. Everybody starts, even par except for this week of the tour championship, of <clears> course, <throat> where we have a handicap yep. event, which is just fantastic to see the, the guys going back to their roots in a bit of amateur golf and uh, getting a bit of a head start if you've if you've played well last week. I never dunno when that became <clears> part of a professional golf, but isn't that what competition is? Everybody starts yeah, with Yeah, but I just think nothing it is, I just,
1: and the initial structure, you know, you've got, you've got a player going out on tour, uh, as I said, that from Monday to Friday, it, you know, pl- professional players mm. pre- don't make prize money up until, no. you know, until they make the cut. Until they're Sunday, that's right. So it's this constant, you know, like constant, you know, making zero, uh, okay, you missed the cut, it's fair, you know, whatever, you know, you're not playing very well, you know, but at least when you make the cut, make it rewarding, you know, make it, And I'm not not saying it's going to make the player softer. It's actually because there's so many things attached to a player. um, And I guess looking at it from my perspective as a caddy that, you you, you know, you want to make sure you get get paid, but it feeds down the line because what's happening, I've found more than anything, is the caddies also. It's a have-not, have-and-have-not situation uh, as well. You know, you've either got a caddy that's making, you know, $200,000 or, you know, a a guy that's, you know, and another caddy just, you know, making nothing, you know. uh, So it's, um, i again i yeah I agree, but I think a player should not walk away from the game totally broke you know like I mean it, it, there's enough rankings out there for the qualification to get through you know and I mean but that player is going to get through yeah uh, um and be able to be competing and, and compete on to next year and if they but financially you know it, 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 it it's, the player shouldn't be walking away from the they should be rewarded more you know by making the cart you know.
0: It's, a, it's an interesting and, uh, it doesn't make
1: the player softer and you know uh, sure you know just go out there and play better golf you know that's very easy to say but i just think have a look hard at the structure of the breakdown and i think um, i think it'll it 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 would it would kind of There's a um, the reason i related to LPGA is that you know the, the theme of what i've woken up to over the last you know 30 years of caddying and whatever it was 27 years the there's a big difference between the male and female, you know, and um, the, the, the female pressure is way higher. And there's been a lot of sad stories over the over the years in out of LPGA, and um, the, the women are more definitely more emotional uh, about when it comes down, you know, to money and pressure, and uh, you know now you're bringing uh, it, it's, it gets to you know depression and a lot of this, a lot of aspects. They're, they're constantly the LPGA are monitoring a lot of uh, depression that goes on and uh, amongst the mm-hmm. tour, they watching players and. You know, and uh, talking to a lot of players, I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, negative neg- negativity out there, and it's it's really tough. You know, the, the women uh, struggle to handle it. You know, but the men, it doesn't matter. They're making millions. It's fine. We're going to go on to next week. No big deal. But the women, are, uh, it's it's a different kettle of fish, and you know, the the, the tour structure is different. Everything's different. Yeah. Um, it's the LPGA is the only tour that has to pay for their television. Yeah, that's um, right, yeah. You know, It's 500000 a week. Yeah, that's hard, isn't it? Uh, out of the budget. But, uh, but I think that it, to make it look that little friendlier and uh, just reward a player mm. better after making the cut,
0: you, You're going to make some resistance to that argument, and some of it might even come from me. But I do think it's a very interesting discussion that at what point mm. does the organisation have a responsibility to the players beyond just organising the event and let the chips fall where they may. But there's, uh, there's mm. probably a whole episode in that. At some point. Dean, been great to catch up, mate. Thanks for taking this (laughs) on. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Rob.
1: All the best, mate.
0: So much to take in there from that chat with Dean Hurden, and I hope that you enjoyed it. Well, even half as much as I did would be a good result. Now, for our next episode, we're going to meet someone who challenges an old cliche. Those who can do, says the accepted wisdom, and those who can't teach. But what if you happen to be really good at both? Well, find out on episode 28 when we meet two-time Australian Masters champion and coach of the moment, Brad Hughes. That's next time on The Thing About Golf.